it's my pleasure to um, to get to teach a little today. And um, we've been, as, John, as Jonathan said, we've been on a series over the last uh, few weeks. We we uh, we found ourselves in this series. We we'd. Uh, uh, been in a series called Empowered, which was leading up to the day of Pentecost and all that that encountered and, and all that that meant, and um, and um, and and then because we had such fun in that, it just seemed to naturally kind of blossom into this series, which is when the, when the Holy Spirit's poured out on His people, and uh, when the Holy Spirit's given to the church, uh, things change, and um, and part of that is that He's He's creating a, a fruitful community. And uh, so I wanted to uh, just continue along that. Over the last two weeks, uh, Jonathan speak, spoke two weeks ago. Pete spoke last week, and um, I feel very privileged to uh, to continue on the on the series. I want to I want to start by just reading you something that uh, that Jonathan. Wrote. I, I love. I'm really loving what he's writing in the e news. If you don't um, if you don't get our, our weekly e news, uh, there's a sign up spot on the vineyard.org. No, not urbanvineyard.church site. Um, and you can get that every week. It comes out on Friday morning. But I love what he wrote here, he, and this was kind of leading up to this series. He says, in, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul presents a picture of two communities, one characterized by life in the flesh and the other characterized by life in the spirit. Life in the flesh means life lived according to the pattern of default human behaviors which tend towards self-centeredness. A community patterned in this way is a toxic place to be. Well, life, on, life in the spirit, on the other hand, means experiencing a taste of new creation now, where the default is relationships marked by self-giving, joyful love. And Paul reaches for words like gentleness, peace, kindness, faithfulness, patience, generosity, joy, self-control and love to describe that kind of community. It's not a list of uh, self-improvement goals, it's a portrait of the qualities that naturally and inevitably form in a community that lives and remains in the flame of God's love. And, and it's, with, it's with that kind of sense of, of, this, of Jesus creating uh, an alternative community, which is the church. Uh, the church all around the world, the church that has begun meeting this morning and is going to continue over the next 24 hours, it's going to wake up and meet all around the world. And, um, you know, and, and, and this, this reality that he's building something, that he's creating a family that has family characteristics is, is a really beautiful thing for us to grasp a hold of. Now, over the years, I've, I've, I've preached a lot and taught a lot on the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, they're... they're their core learnings, their, their core practices for Christians who want to live uh, a faithful, Jesus-centered life. But in their truest sense, they, the, we need to experience them as a corporate or as a community expression of, of Jesus' life. And so I, I want to just quickly run through some... I'm, I'm going I'm to flick up a lot of scriptures on the screen uh, over the course of the morning but, and, and probably not read them all. But just to go back to when Jonathan spoke two weeks ago, he... He's, he took us in this passage in, uh, in John 15. And it's this, and, and it's this really well-known passage John, in John 15, uh, verses, what is it, uh, 1 through 17, where he talks about Jesus. It's one of the I am's. He says, I am, I am the true vine, and my father, the Father is the gardener. And, uh, and then he talks about how, what it means for us to be part of this vine, that, that the only way that we can be a fruit is if we remain in the vine, if we, if we are connected uh, to him, that, that, it's, that, that the, only way, the, only, the only possible way for us to, to be a fruit is, is simply by, 
by remaining in that vine. And as Jonathan said in that, in that um, message to us in the news, it's not this is not a self-improvement program. This is not a self-help program. This is just a result of being connected to Jesus, to be part of the vine. And, and as long as we're part of that, you know, we're going to produce fruit. It's, going to, it's just going to be one of the realities of being connected. Um, so it, it comes from being functionally and lovingly and, and obediently connected to the head of the church. And, and as we do life his way, and as, as, as we allow him to form us, this fruit is, is produced in us, and it's, and it's experienced corporately. And then again, he, he took us into this passage in Galatians 5, which, is, which in one sense is almost like Paul's... Paul's uh, Look at it. And he says, so, so I, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And, and he talks, first of all, about the, the, the result of living a sinful way. Then he talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit, what, what it would mean to walk in the Spirit. So at the beginning, he says, walk in the Spirit. This is Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Walk in the Spirit. And at the end of it, he says, so since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And he talks about some of the fruit, and, and again, as, as Jonathan pointed out, this is, this is not an exhaustive list of the fruit that, that uh, is produced when we, when we stay connected to him, but it's, but it's, it's a representative, it's, it's almost like a taster, but there's more than this. But, but he talks about that, that if, we, if, we, um, if we live according to the Spirit, then this fruit, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And against such things, we don't need the law. We don't need any rules to tell us how to live because it's, it's a result of just being connected to him. It's a result of, of, of walking in the spirit, of keeping in step with the spirit. It's a, it's a really beautiful picture that he, that he gives us here. So the fruit of the spirit is the result of catching God's attributes by, by spending time with him and allowing our, our minds and our hearts and our actions and our beliefs to be, to be shaped by him, not by the background we come from, not by the culture we find ourselves immersed in, um, but, he's, but he's reforming us in his image. He's, he's, creating, he's, he's creating a church that looks like him, that acts like him, that believes like him, that, that behaves like him. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that he's, that he's doing here. That, you know, the reality is that all, all discipleship is, is reformation. We're being reformed in his image. And, uh, and, and as, we, as we're formed by the truth of the scriptures and the practices of the, of the global, the universal church, you know, the, the church that's, that's now 2,000 plus years old, as we're shaped by that, we're growing into this beautiful expression of what it means to be God's people on the face of the earth today. So, so what the fruit is, 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 the fruit is God's communicable attributes, if you like, they're there, as we spend time with him, as we're connected in the vine, this is what's just formed in us. We don't have to try to produce fruit. You never, you know, you never see an apple tree, you know, groaning and struggling to produce apples. It just does it because it's it's in good soil. There's rain. There's it's, it's a healthy tree. And in the same way, this this kind of fruit is produced by us just simply. Walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. And, and the reality is the more we do this, the more the, more the church becomes, you know, we, we take on family likenesses. And um, there's, a, there's a whole website um, about, about um, awkward family photos. But I, I, this is what happens when we spend time with Jesus. We end up looking like him in the most beautiful ways. <laughs> it's gorgeous, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Now again, as um, 
as Johnny said, the, you know, the, the, this listing is not exhaustive, but it's, but it's, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's almost like a way that, that the New Testament writers are trying to, you, you can't get your eyes off it, can't you, and then you can't forget it. Yeah, uh, anyway, <coughs> leave it there for a few more moments just to, just to feast your imagination on and take it home. Um, but, but one of the things about these, these, uh, these qualities that the Holy Spirit's producing in us is, is they're, they're described, I guess, in different ways by different metaphors in different parts of the scriptures. So, for example, in, um, whoops, I pushed the wrong button. Here we go. Um, in, in Colossians, uh, when Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he says, he says this, this same kind of, the same transformation, this, the same fruit producing is described as putting on, putting on the, um, uh, to, to clothe yourself with Christ. It's, you know, the church clothes herself with Christ. She becomes like him. Uh, in, uh, in, the, in a similar passage in Romans 13, uh, verses 11 through 14, he talks about, uh, therefore we're clothed in the armor of light. So all these things are just, they're just metaphors that, that, the, that the writers of the scriptures were saying, this is what happens when we walk in the spirit, when we are connected to him, when we keep in step with him, we start becoming like him, we start acting like him, we start responding in the same way that he would respond. Uh, again, when Jesus taught on it, he, 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 he talked about the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, one of, one of, the, one of the most important passages of the Gospels. Uh, he, he, talks about, he talks about the kind of people that live in and produce the blessing of God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know. Theirs is the, they'll inherit the earth. Mental blank there, but, uh, but you know, he, he talks about all these kind of attributes that, 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 that will be blessed because he'll, he'll respond to them. He's drawn to them. He gives them to us in the first place. He waters them. He, he causes them to grow. It's, a, it's such a beautiful thing. And one of the things about fruit is this, and before I, before I actually talk about one of, the, one of the aspects of this this morning, but, but all these things are formed because of a unique partnership between God and his church. And there's three parts to this partnership. First of all, one part of it is this. You know, so, so the reality is we can't produce fruit by ourselves. And Jesus is looking for a, a people who will produce fruit. And so there's this, there's this unique partnership. It's, it's always really hard to describe the partnership with God. It's hard to figure out which part's my part, which part's his part. Because both, both parties are necessary for this fruit to be formed. And, and for us, you know, as we're describing this in this series, we're, we're describing this kind of unique partnership. So the, so the reason we're looking at this is the fruit of the Spirit grows in partnership with God. First of all, that he gives us fruit. Uh, as just as a sign of the kingdom of God amongst us. He wants his church to be a credible, attractive, alternate community. His, his intention for the church is, is, is not for us to kind of point a finger at the world. His intention for the church is that we would be this, this place that people look at and go, I want to be part of that. You know, for me, one of, one of the most profound steps of my conversion was looking at the church and saying, I, I want to be like those people. I, I see something in them that I really I long for. And it was this journey of being, of being impacted by how beautiful the church was. 
And so, so he gives the fruit to us as a sign of his presence, a sign of the a sign of the presence of the kingdom in us. Uh, second of all, we pursue it. So the individual members of the church pursue it without without falling into the trap of trying to produce fruit by ourselves, of you know embarking on some kind of fruit growing process or try, some self improvement process. But it's just simply by obeying the nudges of the Holy Spirit. You know, when he when he when he gives us you know his kind telling off, it says, "I want you to stop doing that." You know, isn't it? It's one of the most beautiful things when when the Father begins to discipline us and say, "You need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this." It's it's a beautiful thing as He communicates to us sometimes by by a whisper from His Spirit, often by the Scriptures. We read them and we think, "Oh my goodness, I need to live a different way." And and and, and but you know, so it's so it's this it's this obedient centered Christianity that produces this partnership. It's it's saying. It's saying I used to live this way. I I, I tilted towards disobedience, and now I find myself tilting, tilting towards obedience. I, I want to do what's in the book, and, and then third of all, we we just find the fruit beginning to overtake us as a people. We we find ourselves becoming more and more like Jesus, and we're surprised. I don't, I don't know about you, but every now and then I'm quite surprised at what a decent person I've become. <laughs> And then it does just, you know, it's only a few minutes later that I kind of realize how reprobate I actually am and, you know, when I do something else. But, you know, but it's, but it's that kind of dynamic walk, isn't it, where you, where you just find this fruit begins to overtake us. So there's this beautiful sense of partnership where we, where we look for the fruit when we find ourselves in situations where it's needed. You know, and it's this fruit. This fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, plus more, that makes us look like, makes us look Christ-like in the in the world. You know, I, you know, I, like I said, I, I experience love and I experience peace, and I, I, I just experience acceptance in the church. You know, we're not a perfect, we're not a perfect group of people, but this, but. But there's something about it that's so profoundly different from every other community in the, in, the, in the world. There's something about it because there's a sense that we're leaning into saying, I want to be more like Jesus. I want, I want him to be formed in me. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and it's becoming Christ-like, which is the goal of every local church. It's, it's, it's letting our lives be transformed into the new creation. It's the fruit of the Spirit in us corporately. That makes other people that we interact with begin to desire God too. You know, we're we're designed to create a hunger in the world. You know, we're designed to be. You know, we're not designed, like I said before, we're not designed to point the finger at the world. We're designed to be. It's possible to be different. It's possible to be a different kind of community in the world today. This thing is possible. Now, I, I want to. I, uh, when I was preparing this, I, was, I, I had very grand plans to kind of cover a, a, two or three of these kind of fruit. But, but in the end, I abandoned all hope and just chose one. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to talk about peace this morning, the, the fruit of peace. Um, the Greek word for it is irene. irene and it's, and it's, this, it's this wonderful sense of it's, it's an absence of conflict and and a presence of God. It, it's it, it's a it's it's to be at one with our Maker and with one another. To be at peace. To be at harmony. Uh, to be, it's, it also carries meanings of, of deep prosperity, which is which is prosperity of soul. You know, it's 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 a state of tranquility and serenity, which 
I'm resisting going to the castle, but, um, but, but you know, it's, a, it's an incredible, it's the opposite of conflict and, 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 um, and anxiety in our hearts. It, it's, the, it's the opposite of war and disharmony. So it's the absence of worry, it's the absence of conflict, coupled with this sense of the presence of God in our lives. The, the, the Hebrew word is shalom. Which and, and, and shalom is, is not just peace, you know, it's, it's more the sense of may, may you truly prosper, may all that you do be well, you know. It's a beautiful, beautiful sense when we, when we say shalom to each other. It's, it's, it's wishing, may you prosper, may, may all that you touch be life-giving, may all that you touch, you know, I, I run out of words. I love it how Jonathan usually signs off his message to us in the in the urban e news. He he, he always finishes with "Kia to te rangimarie, ki a koto," which means peace to us all, peace to you all. Rangimarie, you know, it's, it's this beautiful sense of of peace. Nelson Mandela. Um, when he was uh, in his, as he became president of of South Africa said this, peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is the creation of an environment where all can flourish, regardless of race, colour, creed, religion, gender, class, caste, or any other social markers of difference. It's this, it's this deep sense. When, when we read about peace in the scriptures, it's, it's not just that no one's fighting. It's this deep sense that all is well. In our life, all is well in the world, and all will be well. One of the one of the main pictures that Jesus brought of himself and what the scriptures presented of Jesus was that he was he was coming as a prince of peace. And right back in, in Isaiah nine six, you know, we often we often kind of reflect on this around Christmas time, but it's this promise that Isaiah that Isaiah wrote about and prophesied about. He said, "For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." And it's fascinating that this sense of the of him being the Prince of Peace carries right through into the New Testament. Uh, again, if you if you drop down in, in my notes there in, in Ephesians in Ephesians two. Uh, verses 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. He, he, and he's here primarily speaking in this, in this context about, about non-Jewish believers and Jewish believers. He's saying, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, in his body, the law with its commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away. That's us, folks. He came and preached peace to us while we were far from God. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's still quite fresh in my mind about being an enemy of God for me, you know, of, of, that, of that time when I, I was far from God. I still, I still remember what, a, what, a, what I felt like. Being far from God, not knowing God, watching people who did know God, and being far from it, being excluded, uh, and, and and it says that He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. You know, those of the Jewish faith. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. 
And, you know, and so for us is this deep sense that we carry, whether we're, whether we're conscious of it or not, but we have this deep sense that we've been brought into a family, that, that we were far away. We had nothing commending us. You know, it's not like we've, we've really got our act together and God was looking around and saying, you are awesome, I want you in my family. It, it, was, it was, in fact, Jesus said that while we were, while we were still sinners, he died for us. It was, it was that sense that we were, we, were, we were far from God and running in the wrong direction. And he came and brought us close. He's the Prince of Peace. And his heart is still for this to be, a, 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 to be the Prince of Peace. And so one of the first things is when we consider this fruit of when, when God fills a church with his spirit, one of the first things he does is he makes us, he makes us peacemakers. He, he, he gives us his peace so that we can give that peace away. And, and, and I, I want to just for, a, just for a couple of minutes just to look at what it means to live in peace as a fruit of the spirit and, and as a gift from God. Because the peace that he gives us is a gift uh, as, as well as a fruit. In uh, John 14, um, this is one of the one of the first scriptures that I that I memorized uh, as a new as a new believer. That he gives us his peace, and he says, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives, because because the world the, the peace the world gives is temporary. It only exists until the next conflict breaks out. But the peace that God gives remains in us. So he says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid." Now, those words can be meaningless, you know, if the person saying them doesn't have the ability to bring the peace. But he, when, when the Prince of Peace says to us, do not let your heart be troubled, the Lord be, the, uh, do not be afraid, it's the Prince of Peace saying those words to us. Right now, this morning, that's what he's whispering to us as we sit in our seats. If we're, if we're experiencing conflict in our hearts, if, if, there's, if, there's, you know, if we're experiencing some kind of... You know, some kind of tension in our, in our lives, the Prince of Peace speaks to us and says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Peace I leave with you. And again, in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, uh, Paul says, now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And so there's this wonderful sense that peace is given to us as a gift. And yet there's also this, this sense that, that, it's, that it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's given to us, and yet we develop this sense of peace. He guides us through his peace and says in Philippians 4, verse 7, And the peace of Christ, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. And so there's this wonderful sense that, that if we're lacking peace, it, it's usually a good sign that something's not right, and we need to invite the Prince of Peace to come. And in Psalm 4, another beautiful verse that sometimes, you know, when it's difficult to speak, it's a beautiful verse to just pray back to the Lord, to say, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, we, we long for peace. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the longings of our age is, please, God, let there be peace. You know, I mean, we, we look around, I, you know, I've lived for quite a long time, and, um, and this, you know, this is a particularly troubled time. You know, I mean, every time has been troubled. You know, I, I remember when I first became a Christian. We we honestly, we honestly thought the end of the world was coming. We we thought some some damn fool was going to push the nuclear button, and and it was going to be all over. Uh, we th we thought it was going to be the end, uh, and yet I'd have to say that it feels more dangerous now than it was then. You know, and it was pretty crazy then. You know. Oh my goodness, you know, and 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 again. So he he whispers to us, and he and he says things like this: "Don't be anxious about anything. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know, I, I, love, I love this saying. I think, um, oh, I was going to tell you who the author was, but I can't remember. Not, not, of, that, not of that verse. That was Paul. I can tell you that one. Um, but, but, you know, this, this thing of being a non-anxious presence. Someone Friedman. Milton Friedman, thank you. He talked about, he talked about us being a, a non-anxious presence, you know, and we often, we often talk about that in church, that, that, that we, the church, are to be a non-anxious presence in an anxiety-filled generation. You know, that's, that's one of the great gifts that we carry. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the things, whether we know it or not, it's not, we're, it's not we're not trying to be non-anxious, it's just what he gives the church. There's, there's, a, there's something that's very solid about, about, a, about a family that's existed for over 2,000 years that, that I, every generation will tell us that God is dead and the church is all over, that it's all, gonna, it's all just going to dissipate. And yet, here we are, loving him. Life is bursting out. People are coming to follow Jesus. It's a, such a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, and, and one of the things about this thing of peace, you know, thinking about the theme that we're in, about being fruitful, is that we, we receive his peace as a gift so that we can grow in, in peace as a fruit, so that we can give peace to the world. The, 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 the church's role is to be the peacemaker. The church's role is for us to be a non-anxious presence and an anxiety-filled generation. What, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful invitation. You know, let me, let me kind of hurry along. But I, it's, it's really interesting that Jesus often spoke peace. I didn't, I didn't write a whole lot of these verses down. But often when you see Jesus healed someone or, or some sort of miracle took place, often, often he, would, he would end it with these words. You know, he'd say things like, uh, then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He instructed the, the 72 when they were going out to preach the gospel. He said, when you, en when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. It's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That, that his intention is for we, the church, to bear fruit, you know, and to bear this fruit of peace, that wherever we go, we would bring peace. When we, when we visit someone, when we, when we have a conversation with someone, our longing is that there would be peace in that conversation. In the place of conflict, we'd bring peace. And, and again, one of the most common experiences that people have <clears throat> when they're prayed for, and I've had this experience over and over again, and I, I'm sure you could all stand up and say, yep, I've had that too, is that when we're prayed for, one of the first things that happens is that there's a deep peace that comes on us. You know, we're anxious, we're, we're nervous, you know, we're, we're troubled, and someone comes and prays for us, and one of the first things we feel is peace. It's like the anxiety goes. And why is that? Because we're carriers of peace and he's the prince of peace. It's amazing. <clears throat> you know, we're, we're, we're forever thinking about this thing of we receive peace as a gift, we produce fruit, we produce peace as a fruit. It's, it's an amazing privilege for us the church to carry this. So what do we, what do, we do? What does it mean for us as a, as a church that we would, that we would uh, be a, a church that, that is living, that gives away this fruit of peace? What does it mean for Urban Vineyard to be a, a place of peace? And, and I just have a few thoughts here, and this, you know, these are not exhaustive thoughts by any stretch of the imagination. But Jesus said again in the, in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
And again, you know, those, you know I, I know previous series we've talked about this, about the, the, uh, the Beatitudes. We've talked about what it means to be peacemakers. But, but there's, a, there's a profound difference between being a peace lover, a, a, a peacekeeper, and a peacemaker. You know, all of us are peace lovers. I mean, I, I love it when everything just works out right. You know, it it's, uh, makes me very happy and, and, and makes this old heart glad. Um, and, but, but to be a peace lover is just, it's pretty much to avoid conflict. You know, peace lover is, oh, there's trouble over there, and I'm walking this way. You know, um, you know it's, it means nothing to be a peace lover. The church is not a peace lover. And again, we're not peacekeepers. I, you know, I often, I often reflect on the most miserable job in the world is to be a United Nations peace, peacekeeper. You know, they wear blue helmets and don't have anything to protect themselves or to protect the people around them. You know, it's like, good luck and may the blue helmet be with you. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how you keep peace between two, two, two peoples who want to kill each other, you know. But it, I mean, peacekeepers, are, peacekeepers are people that just always kind of keep the lid on stuff. You know, and, and I know what it's like to be like that in a relationship, you know, it, just to be a peacekeeper, oh, don't say that, you know, oh, don't do that. You know, it, but a peacemaker jumps in there, and usually a peacemaker jumps in there and makes war first. It's like something has to change. If there's going to be peace, something has to change. And one of the things about being peacemakers is this, that, that, that we, we, one, of our, one of our roles is to bring that peace. We're not peace lovers. We're not peacekeepers. We're peacemakers. You know. Now, I, I'm in some ways, in some ways, because of the way that I'm wired. I actually, I just can't stand my on the on the enneagram. I'm a peacemaker, so so this kind of comes in one sense a little a little extra easy for me, but I can't stand it when when there's conflict. I I really can't stand. I can't stand it when people are angry at each other. It's at, you know out of sorts with each other. There's something in me that just kind of goes. I, I can't live with this. I've got to do something about it. You know, it's it's one thing that really gets me motivated. It forces me to be a peacemaker. You know, it's it's not right for Christians to be out of relationship. You know, we we can't sleep with anger. You know, we we we've got to work to resolve it. And and even even um. Even Paul wrote about this when he said in Ephesians four three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And again, one of, the, one of the things about this scripture is that he says the church actually is unified. We are. We, we do have unity. But every now and then, we get annoyed with each other. We do things that, that hurt each other. We do things that, you know, knowingly or unknowingly, you know, offend one another. And he says one of the, one of the chief tasks of the church is to keep the unity of the church. You know, don't, don't let it go. You've got it. I've given it to you as a, as a, as a gift. Now... Fight for it. Again, in Hebrews 12, verse 14, we don't know who the, who the writer of Hebrews was, but whoever it was said this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. You know, and it's, I know this is somewhat easier with people that we know and love, but, but it's, isn't it interesting that we usually have the meanest arguments with the people who are most like us and the people that we love? You know, we, we, we hurt the people who love us the most because, I don't know, because we're vulnerable with each other. Our hearts are open to each other. It's, it's, it's you know, I, I don't mind it if some complete stranger walks down the street and calls me a jerk. You know, it's like, whatever, you're lost, buddy. You know, 
I'm awesome. You, know? <laughs> you just haven't had the chance to meet me yet. But, but you know what I mean? But if someone that loves you says that to you, you go, oh my gosh, you know, maybe I am. I've got to do something about this. I need, I need to sort this out. And the challenge for us is, is taking God's peace and peacemaking to those that we don't love. You know, it's, yes, we do it with each other. But one of the things that God wants us to do, I think, is, is to take peacemaking beyond these walls, that, that we, the church, are to be, uh, you know, the, we've been given peace as a gift, we're developing it as, as a fruit, and our mission and our ministry is to be peacemakers. And so it's interesting what, um, you know, what Paul says in Romans 12, and this is honestly where I'm landing. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and I think one of the one of the great privileges of us as a as a as a church community is is to be a peacemaker in our family, uh, to be a peacemaker in our friendship circles, to be a peacemaker in our social settings, to be a peacemaker in our work settings. It, it, we we get to be peacemakers. We get to bring something to 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 a situation that maybe we feel like we've got nothing to offer. But, but we bring this ability to be peacemakers. You know, we've received his love. We've got his joy overflowing in us that Pete talked about last week. You know, and, and, and it enables us, therefore, to look beyond our own lives. And we've been invited into his peace. So how could we not spend ourselves on partnering with God, partnering with the Prince of Peace, and partnering with what God is currently doing in our city? What's, you know, asking these questions, what's he up to? You know, we're living in a time of anger and outrage and cancelling each other out. And yet we're called to reconciliation. He calls us to this, to this magnificent role of being a peacemaker. You know, and, and to be a peacemaker is to act like God in a situation. You know, it, it's really interesting. Jesus was drawn to sin. You know, he was, he was drawn to broken people. He was drawn to difficult situations. He never agreed with the sin. He never said, that's yeah, fine, just carry on doing that. You know, he, 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 he simply called people like us out of our sin. and said, come follow me. There's, a, there's an alternate community. There's a, there's a different way that you can live your life. And I think one of the pictures that God wants to, to, to draw large in our minds and in our imagination is this. That, that part of our role is not, is not telling people they're wrong. It's just simply saying there's another way. It's, you know, I, I think the church always, always makes a mistake when it's trying to correct everybody else you know, by, by pointing a finger. We never win anything by pointing fingers. We, we win by, by presenting a loving, peace-filled community and saying there is a different way. You know, we've chosen to, to arrange our lives around, around what the scriptures teach. We've chosen to arrange our lives around a God who fuels us by filling us with his love and with his joy and with his peace and with his patience and his kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We've chosen to try and do this and create this as a community. 
And, and we're not saying, you know, it's, you know, it's always a mistake to, to expect people that don't know Jesus to live Jesus' way. You know, of course not. I mean, we, we have enough trouble. Well, I have enough trouble trying to live the Jesus way, let alone someone who doesn't have Jesus in their life. And so it's not for us to kind of, you know, to point fingers and to pass judgment. It's for us to say, here is an alternate community. Here's an alternate reality. Here's, an, here's, a, here's a place where these qualities, love, joy, peace, exist. Come be part of it. Yeah. All right, that's all I've got. <clears throat> um, myself all tangled up here. One of the lovely things that he does, and it's, it's always good to invite him to touch us personally because it's in, that, it's, in the, it's in the individual experiences of God that we form this community together. And to, yeah, again, as I was praying about this message during the week and pu- putting it together, there was this wonderful sense of that he, he is here, he's going to be amongst us and and he has been this morning in, the, in, the, in our sung worship and the communion and hearing the stories and our prayers. He's been here. And even in, the, even in the preaching, he's been here. And he just doesn't want us to know the theory of this. He wants us to know the reality of this. And so I, I'd just love to invite us to stand. Uh, so let's do that. And, and to the best of your ability... You know, let's let's uh, just close our eyes for a moment and, and and position ourselves, posture ourselves in a way to receive from Him. He, he's amongst us. So, Holy Spirit, we pray as we stand in this room and we, and we pray for those uh, that are a, a part of this on Zoom. Lord, we pray right now that you would enter our rooms, that you'd in, that you'd enter our hearts. We thank you for this incredible gift of peace. So would you come? Would you come?